Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, now can you see me and hear me okay? I can hear you. And... Okay, and not see me yet. That's my fault. There I am. Amazing. We're doing it. Take two, uh, having some microphone issues. Uh, sorry about that. But as I was saying before, lovely to see you. It's been way too long. I know, so long. It's kind of crazy that now we're talking on a podcast instead of like... Instead of at the UCB theater, just as people go into a show. Yeah, that was crazy. I feel like we started in the same place and took different roads. So it's interesting to reconnect and talk because I feel, I feel like exactly the same way because yeah. I've been so excited to catch up with you and every, I'm so excited for you and proud of everything you're doing and I can't wait to get into it. But the first thing I do have to do is get through a quick ad read. I yeah. hope that's okay. I'm going to make you sit through that. I apologize. This week's episode of 39 Minute Conversations is not technically presented by Blank Check with Griffin and David. Typically, I don't promote a lot of other podcasts on here. It is my preference that my listeners forget that other podcasts exist, lest they stop listening to mine. But this section of 39 Minute Conversations is devoted to two things, talking about things I love and shamelessly begging for opportunities for myself. So now I will do both. Blank Check with Griffin and David is a podcast hosted by actor and comedian Griffin Newman and film critic for The Atlantic, David Sims. They explore the filmographies of filmmakers who had early massive success and how that impacts every film across their entire career. They've covered a wide variety of directors from the Wachowskis to In Night Shyamalan to James Cameron to Elaine May to Danny Boyle, many, many more. Their film analysis is insightful, hilarious, it's a must-listen podcast for me that has introduced me to some amazing filmmakers and given me more insight into directors that I already know and love. And they always have great guests, actors, comedians, directors, critics, writers. So I think you know where I'm going with this. Why not me? Is it because I don't really have any credits yet? Is it because I've accomplished very little and I'm not particularly famous? Is it because they don't know I exist? Probably yes to all three. But are those good reasons to not have me on? Again, yeah, probably. But still... Guesting on Blank Check has become a career goal of mine, so I am available and I await your call. That is Blank Check with Griffin and David. Listen to it after you finish this episode of my podcast, please. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39-Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones. But I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today is a very, very talented writer, director, actress, and comedian. She wrote and directed the short films Be at Rehab and Walk Out Nice and Smooth. Currently, she's a fellow in the AFI Directing Women's Workshop, where she will direct the dark comedy thriller Interloper. And she has written for and appeared on Murderville on Netflix and Jury Duty, which is now airing on Freebie and Amazon Prime. Folks, please welcome Carrie O'Neill. Hello, Carrie O'Neill. Thank you. What an intro. Crazy. It's all things you've done. That's it's crazy only because uh, there's a lot of credits to, <laughs> to list. I know all from 2020 to now as well. Every single thing you said is from 2020 to now. So 
Wow. Um, that's fucking awesome. Cause we've, you know, we've been grinding at this for a long fucking time. So. We have absolutely. We, for people who don't know, we have known each other, like we mentioned up top a long time. Uh, we met when we were both years. It's gotta like, be like 10, 11 years. Yeah. I, I started into, we interned at Upright Citizens Brigade together. Um, it had to be, I started in 2012 or 2013. That's when I moved here. Yeah. Started in wow. 2012. 2013 ish so that yeah. was a long time ago crazy that's that 10 that years ago 10 years ago it's 2023 now I know and um, we've seen each other a little bit since then but not a ton um yeah. and but but I have you know been watching things that you've written for been you know seeing everything you've done I'm just I'm always proud of you and excited for you and Same, I'm dude. just excited to catch you. up same I know okay you're killing these contests and you're doing the work sitting down to write a feature is like fucking insane and you're like on the you're winning all the like that is like I chose not to do that because it's so fucking hard <laughs> that like, there's like other fucking hard things to do so you know who I'm watching you and I'm like whoa I can't believe I know someone on this nickel like so really proud of you and watching everything you do too oh my god thank you it has been we've both come a long way since uh um seating people at UCB shows and selling them Diet Cokes and Dr. Peppers and the bathrooms. Oh yeah. Cleaning those bathrooms. Yeah. All that fun stuff we used to do. Um, but okay. So let's get a start where you just started. Like we have both come, like I said, a long way and we both kind of took different paths. I use contests and stuff to kind of break my way in. Um, how what was your journey? Like kind of getting in the, your foot in the door, getting representation, your first jobs, that kind of thing. It was so hard and so heartbreaking, like every inch of the way, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it all came in bits and pieces. Like UCB definitely was a huge, I would be nowhere without UCB mm -hmm. in terms of like just meeting people and collaborators and friends. Like that mm -hmm. was huge for me. And then I also ended up working there after I interned. So just being around, I think kind of like led to certain opportunities of just like doing a show with this person and doing mm -hmm. that. And I met Carmen Angelica at UCB as well. And she directed a web series I did in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, first thing I like decided to shoot myself. I've been doing just sketch comedy. Like, well, when I met you, I was doing UCB. Mm -hmm. We were both trying to take classes and interning. Yeah. Class. Then I eventually worked there and got put on a sketch team there as a writer. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, through all, through meeting the people at UCB, every other thing came. Like me and Carmen made this web series that didn't do, I hustled that around too, didn't do, you know, mm -hmm. like thought I was going to get this web series into like Sundance or something. I don't know. Sure. But I didn't know anything, you know, mm -hmm. so, but I, it got some write-ups and everything. And eventually I interviewed, I was, I got to be like a writer's assistant at um, Abominable Pictures, which was making like all the amazing comedy like wet hot american summer and oh wow some of the ones i worked on were very little known like a show about rob riggle um having a jet ski academy but that that's on sony crackle now that um crackle owns or the chicken soup for the soul people own crackle now so okay. but now the chicken soup for the soul people own it um, so is Rob Riggle's Jet Sea Academy available anywhere or is, is it still it is. on Crackle? It's still, it's still on Crackle. Uh, okay. 
That's um, good. At least it's, you know, I've interviewed several people who's like, oh yeah, that show I wrote for isn't on a streamer anymore. It doesn't exist. It is hard. It's impossible to find now. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. So it's cool that even despite the change of ownership, your first kind of job is still out there at least. Yeah. Thank God for the good folks over at Chicken Soup for the Soul. They're doing <laughs> the hard work. No, I've been really like, well, uh, can I say fuck? Fucked by- I mean, you said it a lot already, so it's fine. <laughs> um, like I got to write a, a sketch I did at UCB was in the UCB show on CISO. CISO mm-hmm. doesn't and then the Riggle show. And then I I was a writer's assistant on Riggle and also was given an opportunity to write a script, which is amazing, which a lot of showrunners don't do. They mm-hmm. don't be assistant a script. So I was really lucky that I was just an assistant. I was even an assistant on Murderville, like, and I got to co-write a script. And then they brought me back as a staff writer. Gotcha. Been a staff writer. So I really like got it out the mud. I was just living that assistant life. And at the same time, um, making my own stuff, made the web series. I interviewed for a job that I didn't get, but the head writer of that show passed my web series along to, like loved me, passed my web series along to my current manager. I had a meeting with her and then I was sort of like off to the races. But I would say by the time I got, and then nothing happened after that. Sure. <laughs> off to the races, but still in the starters gate for a while. That's how it worked. What about you? How did you like, what happened after sorry you probably covered what happened after UCB like you so, and Dennis yeah. together and both grinding out feature films left and yeah. right yeah Dennis and I lived lived together for a long time um you just both of us like the, the brothers from adaptation pretty much <laughs> um yeah we were um living together we were both writing on our own stuff um I kind of I went through UCB I never did like a UCB house team or anything um which happens, uh, no, no big deal. Uh, but I did, I wrote for the CBS um, Comedy Showcase and I think it was 2016, 2017. And at that point I was like, I don't think I'm gonna go any further in comedy, specifically sketch comedy. Like it's just, there aren't that many jobs in it. Um, I should, I moved out here to write features anyway. I should try to get back into that. So I wrote a feature, won a screenwriting contest, got repped off of that. Um, after a couple of years of that, not really, it wasn't a great fit. So I actually, my agents at that, my agents at that time dropped me. Then I fired my managers at that time, uh, entered another script into a contest, it's a different contest and won that one and new managers, new agents. And then that worked out um, much better. It's much better fit. And that script ended up, you know, on the blacklist and has been optioned and just waiting for a great, great director attached. There's more, I can't really tell you like on Mike, but it's been very exciting and very cool. And like, yeah. So like, I think our two stories are just a, a, a ghost to show people that there is no one way to kind of get in the door in this town. It's just kind of whatever works for you. Yeah. And like try a lot you have to do so many things. Like I would just mm-hmm. like, show, I would just like work for free on anybody's thing. Like, PA, like just like grinding out those. And now, I mean, I still will I, honestly, like you just have to be like around and helping people and, and they'll give you help. And then if you're, you keep actually doing the writing, like I do mm-hmm. think it happens if you're just, you have to like have no other goals but to try to make it happen though. I think know? that's absolutely true. And it's <laughs> definitely and what you're and one thing you mentioned that I think is really an important thing that I don't think writers talk about enough, but I have I have heard a little bit when it comes to networking. It's almost 
a lot of people will try to be like, okay, well, what person who's successful can I meet and how can they help me? Um, which is an understandable thing, but it's also what has worked for you and, and what's worked for me. And I think is kind of a more, a path that is more fruitful is to kind of network parallel, network people around your level, work with people, help people. And then you kind of rise together because I mean, people who are above you might give you good advice, might help you out in some ways, but it's, they came up with people too, that they're looking out for already, you know? So it's harder to, to like pull other people up as much as it is like to climb together. Yeah. And I remember everybody saying that to me when I was 10 years younger and I was like, sure. Yeah. Okay. Like whatever. But I would say I'm one of the worst networkers ever. Like I'm not great at it either. I'm really bad. I just like being at home. I have like a senior dog. So I really love like <laughs> hanging out with him. Um, but the networking I did was just sort of like required of you in the comedy community, mm-hmm. you know? So that I think lent itself because now I'm producing, I'm writing and directing and producing my own independent short films, which is another hell of its own, which is sure. like, you have to ask people for so much help. So then when I, when I started doing that, I was like, oh, yeah, like you have to be friends with your, you have to, it's not networking. You have to like, to create something like for you to do that CBS showcase, even to create that everyone, like the collaboration, that's what I really love. So to mm-hmm. me, if my networking can be just collaboration, like uh, I just production designed a short for Jacob Waisaki, my friend who I met at UCB, mm-hmm. friend, you know, like we met at UCB doing sketch comedy and now I showed up, I did a free, you know, like we're still doing that shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my mid thirties now, sad to say. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm still showing yeah. up on Sunday at 7 a.m. for free for my friend and they do the same for me. So it is interesting. I do think about having life and like having a kid or a family. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not really sure because I'm still trying <laughs> <behind> this. <laughs> yeah, same. No, absolutely. It's that thing of, you know, part of me a little bit like looks at people back home like, oh, man, they seem like stable and happy. And it must be nice to have that kind of um stability for lack of a better word but it's just I've tried that I've tried working those jobs to you know man writing isn't going to be easy maybe I'll just hop into this this is close enough this is might be and it's not if this is the kind of thing that like drives you and it's what you want to do it's all it is something you have to devote most of your life toward and be your main focus yeah it's hard to like oscillate especially with the industry the way it is now like hmm when we started, or I'm sure you wanted to write movies since you were younger, right? Like mm-hmm. The world that we were promised in general, I think every generation feels this way, is not exact, is not what it is. So, but especially the entertainment industry, like mm-hmm. you write a movie and get into a contest and the movie would be made and uh, Harvey Weinstein would come down and buy you a bar. I'm talking about the, I guess I shouldn't say Harvey Weinstein, but the Boondock Saints guy. Sure. Like, I'm like, oh, you moved to Hollywood, you make a movie. You actually used to be able to do that. Yeah, and it used to be, you know, um, a spec sale was like, well, that's my $2 million or, you know, and it just doesn't happen that way. I can say that, like, I've had a degree of success um, in terms of, you know, actually optioning something and director attached and met with great actors and all these different things. And it's also like, just to be a little like, people don't hear the vulnerable stuff as much, I don't think, but like, 
I'm also like about as broke as I've ever been because that's just kind of how it works right now. Oh, yeah, I just lost my health insurance. Um, I lost my health insurance this year. Congratulations. <laughs> so it's like, it's so funny and weird even when you do have these small successes, which I think you just have to kind of be grateful for. But mm -hmm. so like, it's so funny. You keep waiting for the thing to happen where it's like, now I'm okay. And it's yeah. like, no, you never, I think that's kind of what life is or whatever, but yeah. I feel like there is that, I could be wrong. I've been in this long enough that maybe I should know better, but it feels like there is potential for, or else we wouldn't be doing this as at least not devoting everything to it. That one win, that one like sale, that one like, okay, this isn't like the rest of my life kind of money, but is like, oh yeah, that's a couple, that's a year or two of salary and, and some degree of stability that definitely still exists. It's just further and, and fewer, fewer and further between and yeah, harder to get. And cause it's so much of this job is like free work to a degree or yeah, the, a lot of options these days, like I was lucky that mine was a paid option, but a lot of options aren't anymore. Like it's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, I know you're probably, I mean, the strike is, you know, we're, that we're having this moment, but it is really mm -hmm. sad that the moment. I feel like we finally busted or trying to crawl through a crack in the door. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, oh no, like, you know, I worked for some show at Abominable. I was the writer's assistant, but I got to write three of these like 11 minute scripts. And at that time I was like, so fucking excited about this. Sure, as you should have been. Yeah. And it was like Verizon Go 90 and then like Verizon Go 90, we were like in the room finishing. Like I was like script coordinated, the scripts were written. And then it was like, Go 90 doesn't exist and all these things like yeah. so you can get an opportunity like an option or like this and it never comes to fruition and you never mm -hmm. I mean there are so many people I meet who are like so beyond me have sold features and tv shows and this and that and you never know I would never know because they, they never it never happened yeah. so you have to really like enjoy the process which I'm learning now which is like I want to ask you no okay. I've been really lucky about, because I was an assistant, I got to go to set. So writers like are not really getting to go to set that much, but as the assistant, I would be able to go to set. Mm -hmm. So by seeing that, that made me want to direct, like just being around on set. I was like, oh, now that's why I started really being like, now I want to write a feature because I was really comedy. Like I want to do comedy and maybe I could become a TV writer because I love being funny and, mm -hmm. you know, being comedy. And then I got to set as an assistant. I was like, oh, there's, I like collaborating and making comedy. There's a whole nother level of collaboration, mm -hmm. directing and orchestrating the whole thing. And so that sort of changed the goals for me, mm -hmm. uh, expanded the goals, not changed them. But are you wanting to direct a feature that you ever write? Or are you sort of like, because the where I am, because I've made some shorts, I'm like, I would love to sell a script, but I'm trying to like make the movie about my child, you know, like make the movie that I have to direct. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't think I'm going to give anyone's going to pay me any money to do that. If I get to make that movie, like I'm right. going to lose money for and years of my life. Right. Sure. So, yeah. What is your stance on writing and directing and how solitary writing is and when does it become collaborative for you? Yeah. Um, I definitely write directing is in is definitely in my goals. It's something I've talked to my reps about in terms of the best way to kind of make that happen. And I think 
the advice that they gave me is kind of what you're already doing, which I'm, I don't know if that comes from advice from your reps or just like your instincts or talking to people, but it is, you know, my, their recommendation to me was, you know, write a script that is producible, that isn't like too expensive, direct a short that is, you know, emblematic of what that movie will be and then use that festivals or just send it around and use that as like your proof of concept which you are doing with uh be at rehab and i know you had the short first hey, well good luck brother because what about <laughs> <laughs> but be at rehab i know it takes time and i know it's hard to do but so you made be at rehab did you ha- you didn't have a feature version of that yet when you first made that right no i actually I was getting pretty fed up. I I shot that right before COVID happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. Actually, in 2020, in January 2020 and February 2020, I Oof. shot that. Okay. Um, and we actually had to sh- push the shoot well, our last day to February because I think one of the kids had COVID. But mm. that's kind of so passe to say at this point. But it was pre-March 2020. Right. Um, and I made that because... it. I was getting no traction like at all. And I had been writing pilot after pilot shout out. I would be remiss if I didn't shout out Ben Axelrod's pilot class. I kind of like learned how to structure a pilot in Ben's class. Um, So I was taking his class and then redoing the class with people I met in that class and just keeping writing. And I had a rep, my manager's at three arts. So I thought, oh, something's going to happen. And nothing was happening. So I was like, I'm going to make this short because this is the thing I want to make. Mm-hmm. If I stop, uh, if I just give up this dream, like I would want to make this. And I thought it was like kind of a dumb idea at the time because it's a pretty hard drama movie. Sure. And I, all of my other stuff is like straight up comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really learned a lot about directing and making a movie and worked some psychodrama stuff out. And like, mm-hmm. you know, so it was really interesting and I almost did it as a personal exercise, um, but it opened up another door of being like, okay, like now I can direct. But all of that was born from just being like, I got to do something and not like another fart video or, you know, some dumb thing. <laughs> no, um, I hear that. Thing, and then I can drop the mic. And then that just kind of made me be like, all right, I'll keep going. Which I'm glad you are. I, I, I've watched Be It Rehab. I really... It, and I do want to ask about this because I and I want to ask you about so much. I've been this is only a thirty-nine minute conversation, so it's tough. But Jury Duty and Murderville are obviously such broad comedies, and then Be It Rehab is so like it's so it's slight and it's dramatic and it's humanistic and it's very like so on a writing level. What does it feel like to kind of switch gears that dramatically between? you know, not just, not just genre, but like entire tone and feeling. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I know I also like, I feel like I'm overly shouting out UCB, but doing comedy <laughs> makes you think about why you think something is funny and you have to know, you don't have to, you can still be funny if you don't know why you think something's funny, but all of my comedy is from such a dark place. I think mm-hmm. the darkest things are funny and like, I'm funny I might not be like a crazy joke machine, not that I'm not, if anyone's hiring, but <laughs> like, I'm more of like a, like how, like eastbound and down, like character-based writer. And mm-hmm. so it's not so much as um, switching gears to me, as much as it's like, 
Oh, I'm the person in the room who's making like pretty dark jokes, like Terry Seattle on Murderville is living in his office, you know? Mm -hmm. like, so uh, it is all like within my brand, but I would also say about working on Murderville and, and uh, jury duty and then directing in general, or those are some of the two of the most collaborative television shows you could ever make mm -hmm. it's like kind of happening on the spot and jury duty is like we put on a play for a man for three weeks like oh yeah i can't wait to talk more about jury duty but <laughs> keep going. um and yeah it's the making something all together that's really exciting to me and so whatever the tone is i think leaning into that drama with be at rehab was a challenge that made my comedy so much funnier and made me it was really easier for me to think of drama in terms of visuals when comedy is so written, like mm -hmm. my dialogue in general has gotten better in my comedy from just trying to write something real that's not mm -hmm. to be jokey, you know, mm -hmm. which I know that you're right, you know, when you're writing a feature, you can't just be jokey. So I remember when I was working uh, on the Riggle show and stuff and, and talking to my friend, Tim, who was show running one of the shows I talked about. And he was like, the dialogue is like a little jokey. And I would be like, what do you fucking mean? Like, it's not, you This know? is a comedy. What are you talking about? It's supposed it's to good. be, right? Yeah. So trying to do something more dramatic taught me how to be more funny in a more real way, which yes. are things I find funny. Are mm -hmm. so. Yeah, there is something too. I think it was, I was listening to an interview with, I think it was Jason Siegel was talking about writing, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. And Judd Apatow told him, like, write it like a drama because you're a funny person and your drama is going to be weird and funny. So and I think there I think that comedy, you know, again, shouting out to UCB is about not trying to be funny. A lot of the time it is about honesty and truth and kind of embracing the bizarre without so much joking about it or commenting on it. And I think that, you know, good dramatic writing, good comedic writing have a lot more parallels than I think people realize. Well, you you start to wonder, right? Because I even watch, I'm not no shade to anybody, but my own early work, my web series that I mentioned or whatever, you start you start to wonder like, or when you watch something, you're like, uh, there's like the joke of like, you know, no one wants to watch anybody's short film because it's going to be bad, you know? Sure. What is it that separates? Why are some of these things so bad? Like what mm -hmm. makes this style of like, short film so regular to me or a web series about roommates or something like that and what doesn't mm -hmm. have it's dramatics it's just dramatics it's not that they're not talented they didn't have like the best camera they didn't have people who were super committed but i think it's like down to this the dramatics of the script and so making that deciding to make a short film about like my childhood trauma mm -hmm. my comedy writing <laughs> so much better <laughs> because I was like all right this needs something to hang a hat on you know no absolutely and I think I think that honestly is kind of the answer to why some things are successful and some things aren't in different ways is being able and willing to mine what is personal to you because I think a lot of those shorts are just like oh I think this is funny I think this is a fun idea but I think no matter and there's nothing wrong with that those can be entertaining those can be fun but I think the ones that really stand out are the ones that are from a personal place. I'll just say like my Blacklist script, it's like a weird um, uh, sci-fi dramedy, but it comes from a very real place of like um, some trauma in my life and and some of my phobias and the fact that I think about death all the time. Uh, and I'm like, well, how can I put that into something? So I think, 
I think that's really kind of what delineates like just making something versus making something that connects with people is they have to see part of you in it. Yeah. And you have to be a jobber, right? Because when you bring that part of yourself into it, like you're talking about this, it's like, it can't be bad. So you have to challenge yourself and kill your darlings or whatever. And when, when, when you put something personal into it like that, you're motivated from a deeper place Mm -hmm. to do painful rewriting because you're like, this is me. Like I, this has to be right. Versus like maybe something that's like, someone give me $500 and we've got a, someone has an Ari. So let's write something and do it, you know? Sure. That, yeah. Writing is really painful. It is. It's, it's great though, right? <laughs> yeah. But it is painful and it's like supposed to be painful. I think you have to like polish a turd. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent true. And I, I love this conversation, but I do want to, we don't have a ton of time. So I do want to start talking about jury duty which wow. I have watched all of now. It is on freebie. All the episodes are out as of today. Um, now I can talk about it. So. Yeah, now you can talk about it. And this won't come out until Tuesday anyway. So like people will have time. So let's just, we can get into anything. Um, <laughs> it is, for people who don't know, it is a very funny experimental kind of reality show. It chronicles the inner workings of a jury trial through the eyes of one juror. But the twist is that everyone involved in the case, judge, jury, bailiff, plaintiff, defendant, are all actors except for that one juror. The whole thing is fake. Um, With a show like this, there's only so much you can script, right? There's going to be a lot of improv, a lot of like replanning and restructuring. Um, What was the writing process like on a show that is both kind of scripted, but also can't be fully scripted. Yeah. I would say on both Murderville and Jury Duty, we wrote like, Murderville had like 30 page, we wrote it scripted and would write like guest response. And Mm. Jury Duty, we wrote sort of curb style outlines, but we had to write that whole show, you know? So I would say it was one of the hardest, no one has ever done it before, which we kept Mm -hmm. saying, like, because you have a protagonist who you don't know right and what can we know about what he's gonna want you know mm-hmm. and there was a time when we didn't know who the celebrity would be but we knew like okay there would be one celebrity and hopefully like everybody wants a celebrity to put their shine on them right so we're like that was what we were banking on of how to get him to do mm-hmm. something in the beginning, and thank god it worked but we were we wrote like the room was like 10 weeks and we wrote a lot of different versions of the show but Pretty much we had to create the entire, well, Lee and Jean wrote an incredible script, but then we had to rewrite it, rewrite it to fit more of the bits into it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to gauge what bits would work, like each episode probably had like one set piece. Um, but then we had to really like, it was a lot of writing. It was a lot of coming up with characters and how they would interact. Sure, no, absolutely. Parts of writing. Mm-hmm. And then you just finished out the outline. Um and I really, really loved it because um, when I direct my shorts too, I think something that makes them stand out and makes things seem real is like, we can just throw, it's not Sorkin style. Like you guys can say it the way you want and I'll rewrite it that way. And then the freedom to mm-hmm. make it, it does make it seem real. And so it I does. think, yeah, it was probably harder to write than any other show room I've been in, but mm-hmm. um, really rewarding and like cool to be like, yeah, I really am just one small part of this because even as a writer, you didn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Took it and ran. So yeah, but everything was pretty scripted. 
In addition to being one of the writers, you also were, you played an officer of the court, so you were in there a lot. Um, I know you have a lot of experience with improv, but how much pressure did you feel to, like, not blow it, you know? (laughs) If you say the wrong thing, you can just derail the whole show. Yeah, it was really kind of scary because I'm not, I don't really love performing, um, but I am a good, I'm, you know, I can improvise, but I'm not like an actor, so I wouldn't have wanted to be a juror, so it was like, the perfect role for me mm-hmm. but I would say I, would, I did more I was nervous but once once you're there every day also Ronald the guy is six feet tall so I was so nervous when he would walk in because it's such a power dynamic when someone's six feet tall but then mm-hmm. he was so nice and friendly when he would come through the metal checker every day I was like okay but it was nerve-wracking and I had like an because I played an officer I had a earpiece in mm-hmm. where I'd be like saying covert things like and that was something I got really nervous about that I would respond to somebody in an earpiece while Ronald was like near me you know what I mean mm-hmm. he's coming or something um <laughs> let's talk about Ronald because I think you know he's the one non-actor he's the one person who thought the whole thing was real and what was kind of stood out about the whole show to me was you know this guy's getting thrown twist after twist weird thing after weird thing and it keeps revealing him as this like kind decent guy who wanted to do a good job and the right thing by by his fellow jurors and for the case and casting the wrong person could have been disastrous you know could have been like somebody revealing the worst things about themselves how fortunate was it like casting someone like ronald and how much did that sort of dynamic surprise you i guess um well it was surprising and and it was extremely surprising because he's so nice (laughs) but also unsurprising because the people who were casting um had found everybody from the Borat movies like they knew what they were looking for and Mm -hmm. so I had total faith from the beginning we were looking for somebody who was like Ronald because we wanted to push them into this 12 angry men moment Mm -hmm. where unite this crazy you know cast of characters almost and Ronald fucking did it it was insane dude like during the deliberations I like sweating it was like being at war shooting the show because you cared so much because mm-hmm. like it's it, that could have been another thing that I worked on and never came out because <laughs> it's ironic so and, and because it's so experimental you kind of it's the kind of thing that like this could either be like a game-changing kind of show or no one will ever know this happened which is yeah. a high wire act yeah and also just props to Joe Schmo which was a show that sort of like came up with this idea and I would say if you liked jury duty maybe go on YouTube and watch Joe Schmo because it was a similar thing I don't we were hoping to get a really nice guy but the the guy on Joe Schmo the Joe or whatever his name's Matt he was so sweet and kind and it changed the game of the show and Mm. it changed the game of our show too so it was quite lucky to find such special such a special person like Ronald really we thought Todd would like freak Ronald out this character of Todd but Mm -hmm. he loved him and was so kind and the Bugs Life moment was just like so sweet and so like just charming. What a charming little like guy he must be in real life. Yeah, personally to me, like what was really exciting and I think something I mentioned when I had the meeting on the show was like, oh, you could become a different version of yourself for the jury. Like who, like, you know, like raw, like so that's kind of written into the show where like the guy lies about his wife. But um I never thought of it in a more kind light, like, mm-hmm. like Ron. I don't know if Ronald is that nice of a person in daily life. Sure. But 
he was so not he is I mean I do know because I'm friends with him he's so nice like Mm -hmm. I think at at one point I would start talking shit because we had him he was doing his own confessionals on a camera every night that we told Mm -hmm. him and then he would do you know the confessionals for the documentary and then he would talk to the people around and everything he said was always really consistent and I'm like, they would have caught me talking some shit. I would have been like, James fucking Marston rolled up and did this shit. Are you <laughs> like Ronald never did that. It's so interesting. Casting James Marsden too was such a funny idea and such a, you said that there was a plan for a celebrity in the beginning. Was that, um, was that sort of like, you know, if we throw one weird thing, one obvious weird thing at this person, like that will make everything else weird. Less weird. Like what was the thinking behind, like we need a celebrity playing themselves in this? Um, well, first of all, it was Lena and G's script and it was Kevin Bacon in the script, which was so fucking funny just to think like mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon doing this. So I think the idea of it was like that the celebrity could get this guy kind of on the hook and that mm. like an every a, a guy like Ronald, if a celebrity is kind of taking a liking to you and is kind of like, oh, yeah, these people want a picture or whatever, that you'll kind of like them. Mm-hmm. And that'll kind of be a way in. But um, I'm pretty blown away by what James got away with. The, mm-hmm. high- <laughs> the things. That, <laughs> uh, it's a great show that people. Sorry, go. He like improvised so many of those of those really hilarious lines, like just straight up, like James yeah. Marsden is like an improv king. <laughs> it's such a funny show. Uh, it's on freebie every episode. People should watch it. We have less than three minutes left already, which is crazy. Oh, this has gone by way too fast. Nobody, uh, did, I, did I say anything of value? Oh, you said so much of value. This has been a great conversation. But with the time, before we get into like the deeper questions where I get to know your soul, I want to give you this opportunity to plug anything you want to plug, talk about what you're working on now, uh, where can people follow you on social media, et cetera. Um, I am currently... I just really would love it if you watched Jury Duty on Freebie, actually. It's also on Amazon Prime. Nobody nobody tells you this, but it's Amazon Freebie. It's Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Freebie is free TV, so you don't need Amazon Prime. But if you have Amazon Prime, it's on there. Um, and you're telling me I have no time and I'm talking. I'm sure. No, you're, you're great. Two minutes. Keep rolling. Um, and I'm in this AFI DWW workshop where I'm going to be directing a new short. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Interloper. It's a dark comedy thriller. It's kind of like a merge of my sort of Andrea Arnold, e, be at rehab aspirations with like a Ruben Ostland sort of dark humor to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm raising money for it. And you can check out all the info on Interloper film and you could make a tax deductible donation to AFI through that link Interloper film. But also you could just check it out. Got the deck up there. I have a little bio up there. You could follow me on anything you want i'm not verified i never have been and i never will <laughs> and it's tom scarrett fan one um and i changed my name to that because i was like oh i don't want it to be carrie o'neill but now i just have to tell people it's tom scarrett fan so <laughs> that's what it is everywhere across the board <laughs> that's what it is i will make sure to post the link to uh to no, Brian, less than film. a minute Brian, Brian, less Brian. than a minute i'm sorry you yeah anything that you want to plug oh i just i just want to ask you more questions with this minute left i want to get to know you on a deeper level that's what this section is for carrie what do you think happens after we die i think we're just dead nothing else that's why you have to go for it right now it's nothing Mm -hmm. like 
if it is something, you got to act like it's nothing. When you do pass away from this earth, as we all eventually do, what do you want people to say about you? Nothing. I don't want legacy. <laughs> I'm too scared. Nobody talk about me and nobody perceive me for the rest of my life and death. <laughs> but if you do perceive me, please think I'm cool and funny. <laughs> Uh, if you could live forever, would you want to? No. Mm, maybe. <laughs> no. Your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39 Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.